Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustles, John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is a fun one. I have been trying to get this man on this show basically the entire time. We're talking to Ivan Doroshuk, frontman of Men Without Hats. So, I think everyone knows, obviously, Safety Dance. It knows the story. It is still just as fresh and excellent as it was back in 1982. Arguably, it's probably bigger than it even was then. And it still pays a lot of the bills for him, deservedly so. It's a classic. What I thought was interesting is all the other stuff. I think people forget sometimes that they had other, other albums and other songs. Granted, this one right here, Pop Goes the World, is the only other one that cracked the top 40. But the album this, this comes off of, Pop Goes the World, is a masterpiece to me. And they continue to make music, it's just that it, it didn't get heard or seen by the, as wide an audience as it should have. And I've never understood that. How do you have one of the biggest hits of all time and not get the, get the license from a record label to be seen as much as possible? Well, Ivan and I discuss a lot of this. And understandably, he's gone through some phases himself of struggling with these questions himself. But what's great is that for the last 10 years or so, he has been as happy as can be. They continue to make new music. In fact, they put out a, a covers EP called Again Part One just a few months ago. And next month is another full length album, Again Part Two, but this one's full of all new music. So we talk about that in here as well. Plus, I don't know if you know this, but his, his early musical roots days are all like punk and prog rock. So we get into that too. And they put out a, a an odd grunge album in the 90s called Sideways. Anyway, if all you know is Safety Dance and you've never fully investigated all these other avenues of what makes Men Without Hats who they are, there's a lot to learn here. And Ivan is a really great guy. I'll be honest, I've heard him interviews on other places and I've always gotten the impression that he either didn't like to be interviewed or didn't want to talk about himself or could be a little prickly prickly or something but we really hit it off i'm so grateful because i love the guy and so anyway i think there's a, i think this is a very unique take uh from ivan on his career and what it's all about i'm not exactly sure where he caught where he uh called me from i think he lives on vancouver island in uh western canada all right First and foremost, Ivan, I have a theory about you, and I want you to tell me if I'm close, sort of close, or nowhere close. Here's my theory. I believe that Ivan grows up as a punk, and uh, he's really into the punk aesthetic. He's probably also into some prog rock, into some really uh, out there, avant-garde kind of things. And like a lot of punks... Not all punks, because some punks obviously pick up the guitar and they create two-minute songs in their garage. But some punks, I believe, pick up the synthesizer and have a similar spirit about them, DIY spirit about them. And that's where bands like Human League and Ultravox and OMD and stuff like that, that's where they come from. And that's what you did. And you were into synthesizers for about five minutes. And in that five minutes, you managed to write and record one of the most enduring hits of all time. And because that song takes off, you're anchored to these synthesizers for the rest of your career. When really at heart, with the black shirts and the leather jackets and the thumbs in the, in the pockets in your pants and the dark shades, always looking very kind of defiant, that really in your heart, you wish you could toughen it up. And so in 93, when Sideways comes out, this is your chance. You know what? We've had a couple of hits. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you went and made Sideways with all the guitars, and it didn't really do much. And after that, you're like, forget this. Love me, 
And eventually, you re-kind of embraced your 80s-ness and said, you know what? I can make a really good living. I'm making great mailbox money from safety dance. I can make a really good living going out there on 80s shows and playing sh- and playing concerts. I'm just going to cash in and make some money. And, that's, and I'm going to bring my punkness to the world. Am I anywhere close on any of this? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty close. I knew it. Except for the except for the cashing in part, except for the right. cashing in True. part. I've never done anything for money, so that's kind of uh what Well, cashing in to me is not a bad thing. Seen me as much as other people. Yeah, you that's not a bad thing. You have created some enduring music that deserves to be heard and you deserve to be compensated for it. And so I I am yeah. saying this as a good thing, not a bad thing. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no no no, I'm just I'm just uh yeah, no, the that that's a that's a pretty good summary of of uh, of what went on. Um, I sort of learned later in life that uh, rhythm of youth was a good thing, and uh, and I had fun playing it, and I and I and that's what's going on now. It's it's uh, it's definitely a, a labor of love now. It's uh, it's uh, we're out there because we we want to be there. We're not we're not there because we have to be there. Mm-hmm. Do you okay. ever wish that? or not regrets, probably the wrong word, but do you ever feel hamstrung by the synthesizers and the, you know, the, the keyboards that you made your name on and have to, and feel like, oh, I just wish I could do more things like sideways or. Uh, not really. No, I'm, I'm a keyboard player to start with. I mean, I'm, I'm a self-taught guitarist, but I'm a, I'm a classically trained pianist so uh that's always been my first uh, you know the synthesizer part too that i was only in it for five minutes i was i was into synthesizers for for a lot longer than than five minutes the whole i was really into like progressive rock music as a teenager more than any other of my friends i guess because i was a keyboard player genesis and yes you know i saw the i saw the pink floyd dark side of the moon tour and 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 so that you know, that's it. Was it was it was always about keyboards. The guitar part came kind of like the sideways thing was just kind of just a. It was the last major label record that we made. I guess it was just that was just the closing the book, closing the chapter on that book, and uh, it was. But it was fun too. That too was a was also a labor of love. It was yeah. a project that we did with friends. It was it oh, was it was something that was done. It was done completely, you know, out, you know, we knew from the beginning, the record company told us, everybody told us like, nobody's going to understand this project. People think that, you know, people are, are just, they're not going to, it's not going to enter. It's not going to register with people. Yeah. And we said, well, whatever, you know, yeah. it's, we, we still want to do it and we did it and we toured it and we had fun and we, and yeah. that's it, you know? So uh, you can tell there's a lot of heart on that album and that it's probably closer or at least at that point, closer to what is truly going on within you than anything else you might have done at that point. Yeah, that 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 was really something that uh, it was it was fun. It was like I said, with friends. It was all. Mm-hmm. It was a project that just took off organically. It was nothing was really planned. It was we made a record because we were jamming so often that we ended up having a couple dozen songs. Yeah, I had a feeling that was the case. When you, so am I right? Now, I have this theory that I sort of pitched to you lightly here a minute ago that when we think of punk rock, we think of the Sex Pistols and the Bugscocks and stuff like that. But there, if, if the core of punk rock is the DIY spirit of not having chops, but picking up an instrument and making something come of it anyway, that those bands that I mentioned, like the Heaven 17s and the Human Leagues and the OMDs and stuff, oh, yeah. that's punk rock too, because it's coming oh, from totally the agree. same seed. And that's I totally where I see how I see you guys coming from that same, we're 
we're breaking a keyboard out of a box and we're just going to figure something out. That's a punk yeah. spirit right there. That's that, you're right. You're right. That's, that's, that's what went on. The whole DIY thing, what, what it did, you know, you'd go into a record store, you'd go into like whatever record store was, you know, in your downtown and you'd have all the, you know, all the classic rock records. And then you'd have one section and be a new wave or electronic bands and guitar band. They just, for them, it wasn't classic rock. So it was all this bizarre new kind of stuff that was coming. So they, they can all be on the same bill, you know? And so we were we were doing shows with with hardcore punk bands and and mm-hmm. all kinds of you know like noise bands and and thrash bands and that's the only bands that we could get booked on the same stage with you know so we all had that it was all the same spirit going on and it was a kind of a revolution at the end of the seventies that was artistic in music there was new technology happening and in clothing people were you know it was a, it was there was clothing revolution it was like the sixties again it was hairdos you know everything that was you know that's it was a whole kind of mindset revolution the whole punk new wave thing so yeah agreed when you now what stopped you then from going the prog route because when you hear when the guys like the omd guys when they talk about it they according to them when they saw craft work they felt like they saw the future that's what they wanted to do but i feel like you're cut from a slightly different cloth and I wondered, yeah. I know you love prog rock. What stopped you from going down that route and creating another band like Yes or something? It was, it, it had just gotten too inflated. I remember, I remember the last, like, I was so in love with, Gen- you know, Genesis that, you know, when, when Peter Gabriel left Genesis, for me, that was like, I had to like, it was a, you know, a sad moment for me. It was like in my life. And I remember the last Genesis record I bought was, uh, and then there were three. When, when the word where that ends up being it's the first album the first genesis record done by the genesis that becomes the the super genesis that everybody yeah. knows now yeah and i remember buying the you know buying this record and feeling feeling kind of guilty about buying it you know and 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 going up to the cash was kind of like well you know i kind of backtracked and said you know it's the first one without steve hackett you know <laughs> and and but you know that was it you know it, it yeah. was kind of a to be a prog rock fan at, at that at that point you know so i bet i bet it was uh yeah and and for i was into disco too so i've always said that for me new wave was a combination of prog rock and disco it was sure prog was. rock with with a dance beat yeah That's, it sure was that was that was the human league for me that was ultravox for me that was those bands words MD. That was, it was you know it was craft work and craft work was a bit disco too but mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering then how the new EP again, part one with the covers, if at this stage, because you are free to do what you want to do, if, if uh, a cover, uh, uh, if an EP of covers that you love is in keeping with making that statement about this is who I really am. You guys might think, you know, me because of safety dance, but really what I'm about are the Lou Reeds and the David Bowies of the world. Is that, or are these just songs you like and you thought you could do make a fun twist on them? No, these are songs that we grew up with. Like we were the young dudes, you know, that was us and, and Lou Reed, I mean,
I saw Lou Reed in Rome on my first honeymoon, you know, and and the classic band with Robert Quine and these are these are songs that 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 built Men Without Hats. So that's that's kind of how they all kind of made made it onto the record. And uh, it was it, this this new record has been a, it's been it's been a lot of fun too. It's been it's been it's it's kind of like the the Sideways records. The the part two is coming out soon. It's it's I'm really I'm really excited for people to hear that because uh, we got a lot of good reaction from the first part. So I think yeah. people are going to I think people can appreciate the second part too. Good. People have asked me what it what it sounds what what it you know what I could sort of classify it as you know as far as our catalog goes and I would I would call it Pop Goes the World Part Two. That's what really? kind of what the part two is is going to is going to remind people of that's what it reminds me of when i listen to it when i listen to the again part two it, it that's the first thing i think of wow this is kind of like this is kind of like pop goes the world you know oh man so, so it's you know. i assume it's going to be another collection of covers are you at liberty to tell give us a hint of what might be on it on, on, the, on the part two yeah the part the part two is 12 original songs oh it is oh i assumed yeah. it was going to be another ep of covers like this no, no, no. The part oh, two is uh, awesome. It's twelve new songs. It's um, see the whole the whole project was the, the way this project was started. It was it started off as a covers project. It was going to be uniquely a cover project with just me on piano and kind of doing covers and a, a couple of takes on our catalog too. We had that, and that's where the the uh, no friends of mine comes from. Mm-hmm. And uh, the project just grew and grew, and we started like I. It started with the tragically hip song. They shot a movie once in my hometown. Everybody was in it from miles around. Out at the speedway. Some kind of Elvis thing Well, I ain't no movie star But I could get behind anything Yeah, I can get behind anything I was playing it by myself on piano and I said, I wonder what this would sound like, you know, we did a full rendition of it. And we, so we did and we liked it. And we sort of started doing the other ones that were all, you know, all piano. And then the thing just grew. And then we started going back into the catalog and just getting songs and you, then it just, the whole thing just grew. And then the covers started taking the back seat. the new, new stuff started taking over. And so we ended up with 12 new songs, but there are songs that some of them were written Back in the eighties, some were summer songs that we've we we've done live in in our live show, but never recorded. Some songs written in the last ten years in the back of the tour bus wow. on the last ten years of our tours that we've been doing, and some we wrote as we were recording the the album. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's going to be cool. So when does part two come out? It's coming out in March. Oh, excellent. Okay, perfect timing then for this. Um, now I have to I have to ask. When I listen to No Friends of Mine, it sounds to me like you're now saying it's safe to dance. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance. And if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. We can go where we want to, a place that they will never find. And we can act like we come from out of this world. Leave the real one far behind. Leave the real one far behind.
We can go when we want to. Night is young and so am I. And we can dress real neat from our hats to our feet and surprise them with the victory cry. And I wondered, number one, am I hearing that correctly? And number two, is that a statement of any kind? Maybe a we're coming out of lockdown type statement or am I way overthinking this? Yeah, no comment on that. When you say you heard that that it was safe to dance, mm-hmm. that actually I do say that in the first, in the original version too. Mm-hmm. I, I, like I kind of mix it up in the original version. Mm-hmm. I say safe to dance, it's safe to dance, it's safe to dance. And um, before. And yeah, and so, uh, and I think they're all blended in. So yeah, I don't know if you can even really tell. Yeah. But um, that was always the that was always the original lyric was mm. the, that it was safe to dance. Okay, I and, never picked up on it quite as strongly as I did on this version. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Now you've talked about safety dance a million times in your life, so we don't have to dwell on that again. But I am curious when the out when that song starts taking off. I it it I don't understand why there's not a follow-up single. And this happens to a lot of people that I have on here where there's they're not the label is not capitalizing on the asset that they've just created, the valuable asset. So here, safety dance is huge. Why is I like not the next single and doing just as well? Was there one and I missed it? Or do they sort of not invest in you like they should have? They, uh, you know, it's always, you know, hindsight is 50-50. But the same thing happened in my mind. The same thing happened with Pop Goes the World. I agree. Label picked the wrong single. The label picked the wrong <laughs> second single and people just didn't go for it. What was the second single off Pop Goes the World? I don't even know. It was Moonbeam. And it was like, you know, Moonbeam, which is basically the same song as Pop Goes the World, you know, so the people and 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 radios all over America had been playing on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Ballad thing with with Ian Anderson. Moonbeam. Yeah. Yeah. But um, label chose Moonbeam. I've had Ian on here three times. I love Jethro Tull, big fan. Um, but I've and I may have even asked him. About in fact, I think I have, and I don't remember what the answer was. How did you get him to play on on Tuesday? 
storm on Tuesday You came and made me warm On Tuesday On Tuesday You made me fly Much higher than before On Tuesday You made me cry And made me smile for more Cause love is something I adore On Tuesday, you saved my life. I was nothing but a war. On Tuesday, you made me high. I was flying on the floor. That was through uh, the. Uh the the person who signed us at uh, Polygram in New York, mm. he was the uh, the vice president, Derek Schulman, who uh, used to be the lead singer for a prog rock group called Gentle Giant. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. He, and, and he was he signed us. He was he was uh, the lead singer, and he was in the band with. He had two brothers in the band in Gentle Giant, so he kind of related with me. I was in the same kind of situation with Men Without Hats. So he signed us and guided me through Pop Goes to the World. His, that's the famous story where I sent him a demo of 12 songs with a little a snippet of Pop Goes the World at the end of it. And he told me to ditch the 12 songs, take that little snippet, build that into a song, write 10 more like it. And it got a good album. And uh, the rest is history, basically. Yeah. And he was, Gentle Giant used to open up for... Uh, Jethro Tull back in the 60s and 70s. So they were close and he thought he's he's the one who thought it would be it would be a great pairing and it was. You probably were losing it having a prog rock hero I assume on your album. Oh yeah, no no, I was over the top. I was yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Guy showed up in a silver ghost silver whatever these one of these antique Rolls Royces, you know. It was great. Oh, that's so good. Oh, man. Now, I'm of the... Pop Goes the World, to me, is a perfect album. That's one of my favorite albums of all time. Thank you. Thanks. And I am baffled why it's not more widely known. You talking about Moonbeam being the next single. That's one of my favorite songs on there, too. In fact, to me, every song that's not an interstitial on there is a hit single. And so I have never understood why this thing remains in your catalog. It's well-known, but in the, in the, out in the masses, it's not as well-known as it should be because every song on it could be, could have been a hit on the radio. What happened? Why was it not bigger? I don't know. There's, there's so many factors involved. You know, there's, there's just a lot of things Mm. happen People change at labels, you know, there's, there's so many different, different factors involved. There's, there was, there was all kinds of things going on, like subtext going on in the music industry at that time too. Yeah. There's a good book called the Hitmen. If you have yeah. ever read that book, yeah. basically sums up, sums up the story of uh, men without hats. Basically that's what happened to me. That's the story of that book. I was kind of caught in the middle, caught in, in, in that story. I'm not mentioned. We're not mentioned at all. I don't think in the book at all. It might be, but I, I don't know. <clears throat> it's not, the story's not about me, but it's, uh, I was caught up. I was caught up in the, in the middle of this sort of, you know, what was going on in the industry at that point, you know? So it's, uh, there was a lot of things happening, just shifting, you know, shifting trends, you know, all kinds of things. You can never tell. I'm curious about the sound of the album because it, there has always been to my ears anyway, an almost childlike quality to a lot of men without hats music and pop goes the world feels so full blooded to me. It feels so much bigger and fuller in sound than anything that had come before or even after. And I'm wondering why was that? Was that a unique moment in time when this is the song, this is the music you had in your head? 
Was it that there was more uh, funding going into production values? And, or maybe I'm just hearing things. Maybe I'm wrong. No, you're, you're, you're right. There, there was a lot of things going on. I, I was always trying to make things bigger. You know, I wanted it to yeah. be, I wanted it to sound like an orchestra. I wanted this to be our, I wanted Pop Goes the World to be our kind of dark side of the moon. I wanted it to be our, that's what I wanted it to be. And, and so I, it had to be orchestra, you know, orchestrated. And, and it happened right at the same time that MIDI came in, the MIDI technology that links all instruments together. So you can have, you know, everything can be synced up. It's a lot easier. You know, the first albums, they have that kind of childlike thing because they're all being played by, it's all by hand. There's no sequencers or anything like that. It's all, all the drum machines are just playing patterns and stuff. So for Pop Goes the World, it was a lot more intricate. There was a, you know, there was a live drummer and stuff like that. There was, and, and also we was our first real big budget record too. Yeah. Like, you know, we went to England, we spent a year in England making the record and then flew back to North America and mixed the record for another six months. And, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was all kinds of things, uh, but it was, yeah, it was a combination of all, all of that, you know, desire to get a bigger sound and the, the, yeah. the pluses of the new technology and, and, and the big budget from the, from the record label. So I've seen you in concert three times and that was my first time. It was, I grew up in Salt Lake city, Utah, and you came oh. through, you played at the symphony hall. You opened for ice house. I and, uh, cool. yeah. Yep, yeah. And I was kind of bummed because I came to see you. I didn't really know that much about ice house other than the two big hits they had. I've since become a fan and Iva has been on the show and everything. I love Yeah. Yeah. But back then I went to see you. So did my friends. And we were very close and uh, you guys only played for like a half hour. And I was so bummed because that's what I came to see. And I think afterwards um, out in the foyer or whatever, the lobby, uh, you and some of the other people in the band signed a hat that I had with at the time I've lost a hat years ago. But anyway, I, where did the concept of Jimmy and John or uh, Jenny and Johnny and like dancing snow, uh, snowmen and all this kind of stuff. When you talk about relating the album to dark side of the moon, is there a concept going on there? Cause it seems like there might be a, a sort of one going on. It was, it was, a, it was a sort of a, you know, a loose concept, but based on, on this sort of on, on a bunch of th things that were going on at the time that are, kind of going on now too which was the like the beginning of the of the green movement mm. you know that was kind of going on when when i did pop goes the world so that was you know the message was you know if we don't stop raping mother earth she's going to blow up and that was the whole pop goes the world message and then sort of having the the johnny and jenny was kind of a deflection that i was using away from the focus being on me as the pop star mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and sort of you know concentrating it on on you know on the other basically yeah. and having the the other being you know the boy and girl and sort of the, and then playing up the sort of the whole sort of it was you know we were going through second wave feminism at that point too it was getting yeah. kind of big and and so there was a whole that was that whole it was just all that it was yeah. all that put together you know yeah yeah if you ever want to just talk about that album with me for an hour i would do that with you in a second because that's one of my favorites ever <laughs> I am curious, the follow-up in the 21st century is similar, I guess, in scope, maybe is the right word, but it just didn't, you know, it, it wasn't widely released. What happened with that? Are, are these label problems that you're referring to earlier? Is that what kind of sucked yeah, up? Yeah, these are all good. Yeah. Yeah, that, that didn't even get an American release. You see, That's we, what I thought. We, we were, that was... There was a whole bunch of that was a label movements and stuff like that. The 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 American we were signed to the U.S. The U.S. signed uh, sold us to Canada, and then Canada paid a whole bunch of money to get us and had very proud had a Canadian you know they it was the, they were starting their own kind of branch. It was the first time they had signed a, a Canadian band, so they were really proud. And then the Americans refused to release it, and uh, so. That's just that's just politics. It's all it's all just label politics. But it's something yeah. you know you can't really factor into the into when you're starting the project. It's things that you have to sort of you have to. It's just the sort of gray zone that you have to factor. That's that's that's, right. that's what you have to factor in. You know, there's anything could happen. Factor. You know. 
it's such it's so yeah. heartbreaking am i right that it that it feels like i said in a, it feels like an artist who f- struck on something with pop goes the world is still in that same kind of uh mind frame by the time in the 21st century comes out am i right or are they are they not connected in any way yeah well that they are because the uh the 21st century record was recorded with the entire pop goes the world band mm. and they were all songs that we had sort of it was kind of the first time that we'd kind of practiced as a as a full band usually it was i would do everything get everything ready myself and then sort of just distribute what i wanted done and this, and and everybody would just and, and i'd get everybody to practice it and i would show up when it was rehearsed and sing on top of it and but this was the first time we actually were in sound checks we were trying out new songs and trying out new things and that's when we started doing the abba songs started doing sos So it was a band that kind of, you know, they the band knew each other. It was good. It was it was, you know, a good a good project, but there there again, it was just the you know, unforeseen yeah. you know, things that happen in the industry. It's it's yeah. How are you feeling at the time? Because you have to feel in some ways like you've been dicked around. I'm guessing. Because you've oh. had a couple of hits, you put out quality work consistently, you're getting thrown in, just sucked into all the vortex of all these problems that don't have anything to do with you. Yeah. And well, first of all, I don't, I don't want to feel, I don't want to sound like I'm like, I'm complaining because I feel, I want to say that I am, I am not only blessed, I'm doubly blessed. I mean, for, right. you know, to have two songs, you know, we were voted by, 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 Rolling Stone magazine is the number one two hit wonder of all time, you know? So yeah. <laughs> I consider yeah. that quite a feather in my cap. It is. Uh, and there's so many bands that I grew up with that, that I, that I go back on the internet now and research and, and go and I, I, I digital crate dig. And there's so many bands out there that never got heard and that people that poured their lives into, into what they That's- did and just got went by completely unnoticed. And so for me to just, to people to know my song, I don't care they know my name, just that they know my music to me is, is that's, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's the blessing, you know? It is. And uh, I'm guessing we, we touch on the business side of things on here very sensitively. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you don't have to do anything but collect safety dance mailbox money. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I said before. We're not out there now touring because, because we have to, we're out there because we want to, because we enjoy it, because I love playing safety dance for people. I love the smile that it brings on people's faces when I play it for them and their kids and sometimes their grandkids, you know, I, 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 that's, that's what keeps me going. And another thing, you know, when you say like, I sound like I've, you know, been dicked around, you know, a couple of times, three times. Elton John said famously, I'm paraphrasing, but he said well, a while ago, he says, rock and roll is a private club and the entry fee is to have been ripped off seriously at least two or three times. Oh, so, you know, it's yeah. something that whatever, it's part of the, it's part of the game, you know, yeah, it's part it of the game. And I'm, oh, the only thing that, you know, we, we all went through it. The first people that got into this business made nothing. The second people, second wave made a bit, the third wave made even more. So I'm glad now that people have got it figured out and that the artists that are getting in now are figuring out that, Oh, okay, we have to do this. We have to do that because the guys before us didn't do that. And they didn't, and they ended up poor, you know? So yeah. 
It's true. So at least at least there's that, and there's there's that the I mean the, it's such a different business now. It's 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 okay. such a such a different sort of connection with the with with the audience now. So it's 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 I'm I'm completely I'm I'm, I'm totally completely uh, still amazed when I yeah. when I look at what's going on now. Just the you know what we're doing now, you know, and just what, just true. all this is is going on you know not just between us but between every household in the world is doing this and it's just blows my mind so it's just yeah. uh it's pretty uh at one it's point you, got, you just got to be awed by the whole process and just kind of kind of take it where go where it takes you you know well and to like you were saying to compare yourself to all of these other bands i mean we both we're both music heads there's so many great bands out there that didn't make it or didn't have this and you're you're in a position of power thank god because you got you have some royalties that are going to keep you comfortable you've got a fan base that cares you can do these tours and still be solvent and create new music and people want to hear that and that's not the case for everybody and so yeah. you guys made it okay in fact i want to i want to mention that because the so the third time i saw you guys in concert was a few years ago you came through on an 80s show i think it was Retro Futura or something like that. Howard Jones was the headliner. Modern English was on there. English Beat. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was. And the seeing you there, I noticed that Ivan, this guy who likes to appear very tough and rigid in the photos and all that kind of stuff, it has embraced the love on that show. You stole that show. And you, I think you guys only had time to play like four or five songs. But yeah, it was very short. You're in your silver shirt and you're dancing like crazy and everybody is loving this. And I thought this is a totally different. This is a guy who has embraced his current place in the world, it feels like, and knows how to work a crowd. And I didn't notice that necessarily before. The second time I saw you, you came through Denver and you opened for the Human League. This was probably yeah, yeah. 10 years ago or so. That that was the first tour we did, like the first uh, American tour we did to you know for our comeback kind of thing. That's what I thought. Yep. Yeah. And the guy mm -hmm. who opened, who played before Howard Jones with the silver shirt, was so much more at peace at with wh where he is in the world than the guy who opened for Human League. To me, anyway, yeah, that's that, what it felt like. Yeah, that, that was our that was our first tour. That was our like we had just. Uh, I think our first show was in Austin for South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. And uh and that was the first tour we did. We we and we had B52s on some of those shows too. So it yeah. was pretty intense. It was pretty intense. It was back coming back after, you know, first tour after 25 years or something like that. Yeah. So but yeah. the, the 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 silver shirt guy uh did have a lot more <laughs> was it was having a lot more fun. I could tell. <laughs> I could tell. Yeah. Do you I mean are you able to play shows that where you're the headliner and play for an hour, hour and a half, or yeah, we've been doing that. Okay, we've been uh, we've been, we've been doing more more of that. Yeah, okay. It's, it's just that with these offers for these '80s tours are really coming in. They're really popular. There's cruises. There's you know we did we did a a thing down in the Dominican Republic and '80s in the sand. They're they're all over. People are that you know that sort of that that demographic is really into. In, into these things now you know they've they've the kids are out of the home and they've got at least they, they got some time to spare and and some cash to spend so it's, yeah. these things do well they do well it's interesting to me um knowing your a little bit of, i presuming anyway your rebellious kind of punkish nature to be the guy who is expressing such gratitude for where you are in the world i i have to admit i wasn't expecting that ivan i uh it almost feels like you, like, like we always say, you know, you want to, you want to infiltrate from the inside or you want to make change from the inside of the system. And you seem to be doing that no, for you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's great. So what's the motivation now when you make new music now, does it get played on the radio? Does it go strictly mainly to your, to your core fans and that's okay. What's the hope? Hey, you know, every song my theory is that a songwriter thinks that every song he writes is going to be a hit and that's kind of how i am you know i think that every song that i write is a is a hit i don't i don't 
write. I don't set out to write a bad song mm -hmm. and I'm not the type of person or artist that, you know, is just ready to fill up an album just to make an album. <laughs> I've only put out five, six records in my life. So mm -hmm. I'm not really into just pumping records out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So it's, I got to say one of my favorite latter day, and I'm mentioning this cause I want to play a little bit of it right here is roses off of the no hats beyond this point. Cover me in roses. When my time is up. Cover me in roses. And when you cover me in roses, just remember you're having fun. And some will say. It's superstitious You can tell them It's only love It's got a little bit of funk to it It almost huh. feels like a little bit of an R&B song Or something like that Something like maybe Al Green would have done this song Yeah and I'm curious if there's a story behind Roses Roses, that was a song uh, that I wrote for well, with with Audrey Lord in mind. Audrey Lord was a is a or was a an American poet. I read quite a bit of while I was while I was making the Pop Goes the World record. Mm -hmm. I was uh, living in New York, and I was I went and sat in on some classes that she was giving at uh, Humber College. So that that that's the story behind that song. It was mm -hmm. it was basically just I don't know just just a sort of Okay. A reflection on a reflection on Audrey Lord. Okay. It, I don't need. I don't know anything about her. Is there? Is she an R and B type artist? Because, like I said, it sounds a little funky. No, she's just a she's a poet. She's a okay. she's a sort of a, a, one of the one of the one of the leading sort of uh, black okay. feminist uh, feminist okay. poets. Okay. And uh, I didn't know if I she put her poetry I, to music and it was funky or whatever. And it, okay, yeah. good. Continue. Yeah, no, she's she. I live by one of one of her her famous sayings is one of the things I live by. It's that the uh, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house, and that's uh, something that I sort of keep in mind when I do things. Good one, good one. I wanted to talk about for a minute, if you're comfortable with it, the post sideways chapter of your life, because as you said, when I saw you open for the Human League ten years ago or twelve, whenever that was, that was you getting back into the game. Um, what what did you do in those years? Did you decide, you know what, I'm kind of over the music business. I'm going to do something else. And if you do, what do you do? I was a stay-at-home dad. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got uh, I, I got got married for the second time and uh, and had my I had a son. We had a son. It was my my first my only child. Okay. And, uh, so I decided my my wife decided to go back to. Uh, to school and I decided that I would stay home and, and bring up our kid. And that was just one of the best experiences of my life. If not yeah. the best, it was just something that he and I, he and I are just, we have almost like telepathy together. We were so close. It's just, it's, it's, it's really something I really, I really cherish. So it's, uh, I feel like, am I misremembering? Is he a musician too? Have you posted pictures of the two of you collaborating on music? Oh, and stuff no, like he's that? not. He's not oh, a he's musician. Not. Okay. No. Okay. I must, I had that wrong. Okay. He wants um, to be, he wants to be, he'd be, he wants to be a writer, which is oh, okay. kind of close. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, he's got a good dad for that then too. Yeah. Um, I want to hear stories from this crazy ride of yours. that has been going on for over 40 years. I'm guessing along the way you had to have met some, of your heroes. Do you have any fun stories about that, that you could share? 
Yeah, I've met a lot of people. That's one of the things I'm I'm really really fortunate. Uh, a lot of people that you know I've shared stages with, like yeah. Brian Ferry. Imagine you know, like I was a, played on the same stage as him, and and it's just like I'm, one of the one of the one of the stories I like to tell is uh, when I met Arlo Guthrie, Ooh. and uh, we were uh, we were playing at the same venue like on consecutive nights. And he was there. There was a couple of, you know, like funnier, like little stories. Like we, we had our buses parked outside and ours was a brand new, like silver Eagle thing. And his was a, a, a vintage Greyhound scenic cruiser from Woodstock, you know, with a hammock in the back. Yes. Instead of a bed, he had a hammock in the back and it had like stickers from backstage passes from Jimi Hendrix. Yes. And his kids were in our bus, like playing with our video games and freaking out. <laughs> And we were in their bus, hanging out in their bus, just like, oh, wow, this is so cool, you know? <laughs> and so there's that. But Arlo came, we, we each went to, we, you know, he came to see us play. And during the con, and this was right, like, at 1983, like, at the height of the, at the height of the, fa- you know, the uh-huh. craze. And we played at this venue. It was on the, it was on the Jersey shoreline somewhere. And it was a huge venue and the venue wouldn't let people stand up. They it was a seated thing and they wouldn't even let people stand up at their seats to, to dance. They had to, they had to watch oh. theater style. And I got, I, I got kind of pissed off. Uh, I was, you know, and I, I started, you know, shouting at the people, come on, you know, you can dance if you want to, you can dance if you want to get up. And then the, the bouncers came and started like hassling people and like forcing them to sit down. And, and I started yelling at the bouncers and there was a huge fight and everything like that. And, and, and Arlo came up to me after and he just, you know, he said, you know, it's a good show. It was a good performance. He says, but you know, dude, he says, I would space out my fights. <laughs> and I kind of didn't really realize what he was talking about back then, but as I got older and as I got into more fights, I realized what he was talking about, you know, and that was it. It was, you know, sort of pick your battles and, and, you know, yeah, and don't, yeah. you know, and make sure that you're, make sure also that you're, you know, that you're picking a fight with the right people, you know, like you don't yeah. want to be hassling guys who are just doing their jobs, you know, you don't want to be that type of thing. So that was, that was something that I've always gotten good advice. You know, I've always gotten yeah. from, from, I've never been disappointed by, by anybody which is which That's is kind great. of cool That's yeah great. And, I've been, and i've been pleasantly surprised by a lot too which is good you know because you get images from people that you know you don't necessarily want to believe sometimes you hope it's not true and then it turns out it's not true okay that's great you know i do know yeah um okay last question i'm curious if ivan and i've always said your last name dora shuck am i close yeah, well, that's, there's, there's a lot of pronunciations because we grew up in French, you know, so yeah. I grew up with Dorachuk. That's how my name was pronounced to me all my life. And Dorachuk, Dorachuk, there's, there's, there's all kinds of ways. Okay. Okay. I, um, I, now that I'm actually speaking to the man, I'm realizing I'm having to say his name out loud to him. Hope I've been doing it right. If Ivan Dorachuk could make his dream musical project, it didn't have to come under the banner of men without hats. It could be whatever you wanted to do. What would that project sound like? Would it sound like early Genesis? Would it sound like the Buzzcocks? Would it sound like the music you make now? What do you think it would be? Uh, it, it might be unpleasant to listen to. <laughs> now, why? So why do you say that? That sounds like the, a worthwhile musical endeavor for you. Because I listen to a lot of I listen to a lot of free jazz and I listen uh-huh. to a lot of experimental like classical experimental noise music and Japanese noise music and I really really love it and but I also understand while I'm listening to it how not every it's not everybody's cup of tea you know and 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 I all I but I also like to make that kind of music too I do experiment I have a lot of stuff you know I just, I like to jam you know and and yeah. and and I just think sometimes boy you know like <laughs> to release this. This, and I was just like, no, it's just like, keep it to yourself, dude. <laughs> you should put it out under another name. I mean, these days, all you got to do is upload it to Spotify. Yeah, and people will yeah, find I it know, if they find it, you know? I know, I know. 
that's what's great about that's so great about what's going on now this this technology is just so amazing it's just it's it's you know it's basically put music back into people's hands which which is you know it's what you want you want you want everybody to be able to experience it yeah it's so true it is a shame that people can't make the livings that they used to be able to make in some cases but hopefully if they're like you and they've been able to have some success they can uh it frees them up you know well, you know, there's the, careers like you want to run it. There's just different ways of doing it now. You know, song placement is like a big thing yeah. now. You know, there's like you look like how many TV shows, how many there's like a bazillion TV shows that need incidental music, and that's where people are making their money. So yeah. Speaking of which, that reminds me of when Safety Dance was on Glee, and that was a real like badge of honor. If Glee was redoing your song for their show, what that's, was that like? That was amazing. I was I like, that was, uh, that was, you know, it rebooted the song basically for a whole new generation. It, we, we didn't have to do anything. It was, it was like us putting out a great, greatest hits album or something like that. You know, it was, they did all the work for us. It was, yeah. wow. Thanks guys. You know, cause yeah. every kid that age knows the song and loves the song. And, and the context was so amazing too, that yes. they would choose that context to do. It, it was just like magical, yep. you know? So no, we were there, you know, there again, blessed, you know, I use the word yeah. loosely, but it's like. It's true. I watched the first season or two of that show. And I remember the kid who's in the wheelchair has like some fantasy sequence when he's, and he gets out and dances to safety dance. It's the perfect song. Like you were saying for that moment. And I remember buying the single off iTunes. Cause that's what people were doing back then and everything. Yeah. And I just was like, yes, this band that I love is getting some attention that they probably haven't had like this in a while, you know, no, they were doing it in the, they, they did a, they were doing it live. They did the, it was in the live show, you know, Ooh, nice. So there was, right. it, it got, a, it got out there, you know, people, I mean, it's no, we've been blessed. I mean, and as far as pop culture goes, just, we've been, you know, with all the South parks and the, all, you know, yeah. the Simpsons and just everywhere. It's every, every, TV show has used it. I mean, it's just been just been amazing. I mean, I couldn't ask for couldn't ask you know, for an exception. I that reminds me of one other question I wanted to ask you, and it's about your voice because you have such a specific this baritone. Almost nobody has this voice that you have, and as identifiable as it is, it's not particularly. There's not like a wide range. You kind of are good. You have a sweet spot, and I'm curious if when you write new music. Do you have to take that in mind? Like I, I, I need to write things for my voice because my voice can only do what it does. Does that make sense? I hope that's yeah. No, I, I, I do that. I do that. I, 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 I definitely have to write within my range. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that goes on before we make the record is finding which key to do the to do the rec which key is the best key to do the song in. And so we have we have every song on the record on the new record even coming up has each song in different keys has each song recorded in different keys and we so and we listen because you know some of them are close you know so yeah it's you know that's some are some are better in the low range of it and some are better in the high range of it you know so so it's it, it, it takes a while to to figure that out yeah but one of the reasons and one of the reasons i wanted to say is the reason why this why the silver shirt guy was having more fun than the than the cowboy hat guy <laughs> in between in between those things 
at those two shows, uh, I learned how to sing properly. Really? Uh, my brother Colin is a, has a master's in music from McGill University in, in, in Montreal. And, and he deconstructed my voice. I, I, I was faced with these huge, I, I was faced with my, like these huge tours that I, you know, I hadn't been touring for 25 years and, you know, doing the future, I think the, the, the retro Futura was the first really long one. It was like, there was 45 shows, I think in a row or something, you know? And I was kind of really apprehensive about doing it. I was, I wasn't too sure I would be able to physically to do it. It was like a show every night, every night, every night. And to deliver it the way I wanted to deliver, I, I, I could, you know, I'd figure it out. I'd, I'd last about 15 shows and my voice would burn out, you know? And, I, and so Colin just completely just deconstructed my voice. It took about, it took about six months and rebuilt it all up again and taught me how to sing properly. And, and, and it's something that I, I, I do now. And I sing, I have good. I can sing, I can sing forever now. I can sing Good. like, and it doesn't, I could sing while I'm running, you know, it's like, I can, it's uh it's a whole new ball game now, you know, my voice That's is great. I, I think my voice is better now than it was at the beginning. So, and, yes. and you know, a lot of people agree. So it's, uh, it's a good thing. I agree. And I was thinking um, when, when I hear that about lim voice vocal limitations or whatever, I go back to, again, pop goes the world to me, lose my way is a beautiful vocal performance by you. And Jenny War Black is a beautiful vocal performance. There's many, but when I'm just thinking specifically because that's my favorite album of, the, of these highlights that it's like, well, maybe, but if you listen closely to songs like that, there's a lot more Ivan can do than maybe you give him credit for. So that's great that you're in a position now where you feel like your voice is better than ever. No wonder oh, yeah. the silver shirt guy is having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Ivan, uh, thank you for talking with me. I, if you can't tell, I love you so much. Well, and, thanks a lot, man. And I've been invested in Men Without Hats most of almost my whole life. Well, and so it's, I am so grateful to hear your story and to share it because I just think you're wonderful. Well, thanks a lot, man. Nice talking to you. It was really great. You too. You too. All right, there you have it. Ivan Doroshuk. I love those guys. I hope. So here's the deal. If you do nothing else, please, for my sake, give Pop Goes the World a listen. I, as I said in there, think it is a masterpiece. It is so interesting and so well produced. And every song is fantastic. I want to close it out with Jenny War, Bl War Black because I just mentioned to him in there how great I thought his voice sounded on this. Yes, check out all the other ones too. There's so much good stuff from Men Without Hats, but pop goes the world is one of my favorites so check it out let me know what you think okay huge thanks as always to yeah the man Makiewicz. my right hand man for putting everything together thank you buddy by the way gang next week as i mentioned before we're kind of kicking off a couple of months of a winning streak here next week's guest is a recent rock and roll hall of famer who uh just wrote a book and i think you could probably figure out who that is okay uh, you guys know how to find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. If you haven't yet, please go back and listen to the YouTube book episode that we put out this weekend with uh, author Bradley Morgan. Carly Anderson stepped in and co-hosted with me on that one. I love that conversation. We're going to be giving away a free copy of that book this weekend, but you have to be a Patreon supporter to do that. So get on the link that's in the show description here and sign up because we got a lot of other stuff coming up too. Uh, more books, more CDs, all that kind of stuff. All right. Thanks everybody. We love you.